Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show, a weekly podcast where artists and performers go to chat about nothing. Hosted by Canadian singer-songwriter Todd Donald. Welcome back to The Todd Donald Show. We are in what'll be the last couple of months of The Todd Donald Show. I'll, I'll explain that on a later time, but right now... I'm in the company of someone who always makes me feel warm when we chat, and it's been very long since we last did this. Stephen Trothen is someone that I met 13 years ago, roughly. He looked like the same kind of clean-shaven, relatively short-haired George Harrison on the cover of With the Beatles, and now he looks like George Harrison on the cover of All Things Must Pass, and he's coded his name like Tom Riddle. But I'm, gonna, I'm joking about that, but Pink Objects coming out this Friday. I've heard it. I can't wait for you to hear it. Here to talk about it right now and, and all kinds of things. Tree Phones is my guest. Welcome. Can I call you Stephen on this podcast or like am I calling you Tree Phones now? That's a good question. I was thinking about that. Thanks for having me, by the way. In terms of like branding it for doing podcasts, is, do you say the guest is Tree Phones or do you say the guest is Stephen Trothan? And, and then I also am cognizant of the sort of, uh, I don't know, like it, it sounds like some sort of brown M&M's rider demand or something to be called Tree Phones. So yeah. I think Stephen works definitely for a conversation. Because Tree Phones is more of a project that is me and also the people I play with. It's sort of this modular shifting right. thing, recording project that I get to. So thanks for having me, Todd. We've been out of touch for a while, right? Tree Phones is also like music that you've put out, you know, between Learns to Knit and now. We'll talk about Learns to Knit in a bit. It's like the song playing during your first date with your wife when you met her in high school in some kind of movie. Um, <laughs> you, you, you've always made interesting music. Nothing sounds like the last one really cool creative ambitions involved in each thing. Like you did one that was in tandem with a graphic novel called Mutron, Mute Swan, Trumpeter Swan. It's epic and it's beautiful. And there's this new Pink Objects album that you have a concept for. I like it a lot. I can't even tell you. You bring the saxophone into indie music in a way that's going to be the band to beat. To, oh, or to wow. be, Thanks. That's to nice. be, I, <laughs> I fucked up. You know, like to beat the band, that has nothing to do with this. It's going to be the, the album to beat for um, truly original, well-crafted indie music. Can we talk about that Thanks. term? That's, that means a lot, yeah. Which, oh, yeah, which no term? Problem. You said a lot of terms. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sort of miss, the accidental misspeak of calling the last album Mutron Swan, which I think is actually the perfect <laughs> way to describe what that album's all about. So I might just call it that. Mutual. It's <laughs> like perfect. Sums it all up right there. Let's go into a, a more in-depth conversation about the album and the songs. Off the top, I, I sort of want to set up that there's a concept for it. Like it's on the band camp. When the album's fully available, you can hear all the songs, <laughs> buy them, definitely support this artist. You take it over. So the concept from, uh, as you said, like the song, every song is named after an object. And so every song basically becomes like a story. And the story is centered around an object. Um, so there's a song called Matches and there's a book of matches, quite literally in the song. There's a song called A Photograph uh, and that would be about a photograph. I mean, there's sort of a through line between the last album, which was kind of interested in how technology shapes interaction mm -hmm. in people's lives. That's been a, a thing I've been interested in creative practice and also like sort of academic research too. I was kind of, with, with the Pink Objects album, it's sort of like trying to move that to first principles, which is to say, not even just technology, like what sort of effects does technology have, but what sort of effects do the things around us have and, and almost sort of like mundane, everyday life things. Right. And I'll probably flip between saying things and objects, but we can talk about the distinction. 
And so I was, I was just kind of interested in that. And, and one of the, the goals too, with my, like coming out of Mutron Swan, Mutron Trumpeter Swan, <laughs> which had, which had the graphic element, like the graphic novel alongside it, which allowed me to have a narrative to go with the songs. I was really interested in sort of collapsing those two things together with this album and trying to basically make, be as clear and as narrative based and storytelling based as I possibly could be with the lyrics. In other words, like the poetry of the songs comes out in really like as cleanly as possible describing an event and trying not to add um, some sort of frilly language to it, but just tell a story. Yeah, so that was kind of the obsession. Was just sort of interested in in what are these things that uh, that surround us, and naming every song after an object, and um, just considering that sort of philosophical question of what is a thing, what is an object, and and what is it doing, and what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with how I relate to other people or otherwise? Yeah, that's huge. For each song in the album, like do the objects slash songs represent a particular relationship, like in your own life? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely some of them uh, do. And then some are just fiction, which is to say I might have started with uh, the title and then tried to imagine. Like I sort of, in my mind, I was thinking of like being a short story writer or something, like Mm. as though I had a a book called Pink Objects and then everything was just an object. So I was like, for example, with the song Matches, the first one on the album, I just, I think I thought of Matches and then what could that represent? That song ended up being about uh, a, a book of matches left on a nightstand, which sort of was reminiscent of either a one night stand or the end of a relationship. And so someone is just kind of smoking a cigarette. And then you realize later that uh, they're wondering if the person who left them there uh, realized. So I just kind of imagined that that's not uh, right. based on anything that happened. But and I was <laughs> with that song, too, I was almost uh, the one thing that came to my mind, too, is the idea of like an old flame, which is like sometimes my mind is tuned to make like dad jokes and stuff, which are very groan worthy. But then I also feel like there's a... <laughs> I did that, though. There, there can I be, did that in the song. Yeah, I think I did I did that, making that old flame joke. But I feel like if you sort of don't make the dad joke and you do everything but, like I don't, I resist the the urge to say old flame in that song. Yeah. <laughs> but the song is about light and the, the character is like looking out at the moon and looking out at a streetlight and looking out at their cigarette and... You know, there's obviously the built-in metaphor of something burning away like a like a cigarette. So it's kind of like basically thinking of the object, fixating on this thing, and then just trying to, I don't know, let my associative memory and, and sort of uh, imagination kind of kind of come out and, and just sort of imagine a story around it. That was really the goal with the lyrics for sure, is was storytelling first and foremost. Right. I like it a lot. Hey everyone, speaking of liking the song a lot, here it is right now. This is Matches by Tree Phones.
breathe in and watch it fade out I breathe in and then I stand up I look out at the streetlights And I fixate on the one that burned out Three days ago Bandcamp, you you give an explanation as to like you answer the questions why pink and why objects. Pink is one of my favorite colors, so I'm on board already. Like if I didn't know you, I'd be like I'm gonna listen to this because they're 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 high fiving me for liking a color that they like. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious as to it's, this is gonna sound so I don't I don't know what you're gonna think of me after I ask this question, but for all the years that like I lived in KW and. There's this four-year period where we played lots of shows together and went to see movies and, and hung out. And I always thought of you as like a short-haired, clean facial guy. So when did you make this transition into George Harrison, All Things Must Pass? Like you've fully grown it. Like someone who was like raised in a, a red state. The Vietnam War happened and they're like, man, I, I don't believe in this anymore, man. I'm, that's co- like, it's commitment. I think if you can grow hair, which I can't fucking do it. If your beard comes in and it's not white, grow it. But you got a handsome face under there too. When did you dedicate to that? That's a good question. Although I like the intro to it being like, he looked like George Harrison and now he looks like George Harrison. <laughs> 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 Which I, that's kind of perfect. Um, 
I think it was like I did a, a master's degree and I started in 2013 and I think kind of halfway through uh, I just decided to start growing a beard and my hair long which I think there's sort of a fun poetic aspect to that it's like if you read too much critical theory and too much philosophy it just kind of ages you uh, there's no turning back you've, you're just kind of uh, you've swallowed whatever pill the person swallowed whatever color pill the person swallows in the matrix yeah. I'll say it's a pink pill just to be fun <laughs> yeah. with my album so I, I guess I, I, I swallowed that that pill and just thought, uh, I don't know, it just kind of felt like the authentic me and I just enjoyed it, growing my you, hair. You pull it off well, man. I, as lead in posts, people listening to this will already be able to see them. But I, I actually have pictures of, I don't know if it's the day we met, but it was like that first time you came on my radio show at the college in 08. So oh, like would be fun you, to post and have a com- before and after. Yeah. But you've always looked <laughs> handsome. I, I've changed my weight. And certainly during the years that we hung out, I didn't even know how to get to know people. There's some gaps we've got to fill today. For some reason, you liked things that I was doing in my music. I definitely loved what you were doing with your solo album, your debut. I want to know about your beginnings in music. So like, what were you doing before that phase of making Stephen Trothen Learns to Knit? So around the time we met, when I just as I was putting out my first album, the Learns to Knit one, it was sort of near the end of like going to university, undergrad, and I just kind of started being interested in, I was always playing music, like I played in bands in high school, and but it was always cover bands. But my cover band was actually called President's Choice, which I thought was really clever, like because we only did covers, which is to say we were an imitation band. Right. <laughs> I don't think I came up with that, but I thought it was pretty fun. Um, somewhere along the line, I just, I was taking guitar lessons and my guitar teacher gave me a copy of, um, it was called Acid, which sounds like I'm saying something that I'm not saying, but that's a, a recording uh, piece of software. And he gave it to me on a CD with, you know, like those CDs that people give you and they have the, the serial number written on it. And it's like, yeah. Ooh, this is uh, piracy. So I started recording and I was recording with my friends and it wasn't really songs. We were just kind of like sort of marveling at, oh my God, I can play the guitar and then now I can hear it. It's like a, almost a cliched story of anyone who records music. Anyway, so that was kind of the beginning of university. And then by the time university was ending, I, I just got the sense and it almost seemed like it, I should have thought of it earlier. It was just to actually start writing songs on acoustic guitar. And that was kind of the, the idea of that's what the first album was very much about. It was me, mostly just guitar and voice. And I tried to do everything in one take. But I was just kind of dipping my toe into uh, self-recording, basically, after sort of years of just experimenting with like soundscapes and stuff with my friends. So that's kind of step one. And then and then I just kind of, you know, kept writing songs, but then got really into just recording because it's kind of anyone who's looked into it. it's, It's a rabbit hole that just never ends. The more you learn about audio, the more you get into just the physics of sound and you can learn about all these uh, sort of amazing things that I just find endlessly fascinating and yeah. fun to experiment with. Yeah, the first album was definitely just trying to write songs and record them in one take. The second album was very much the opposite, just like how much sound can I pile on? And then <laughs> this album now, the third one, is this nice mix of uh, both those approaches. Like I was way more interested in a return to form of songwriting, but then using all that sort of experimental knowledge that I got with recording to still have those sort of soundscapey uh, effects pedals coming in and out and synthesizers and things, all the gear I've acquired uh, over the years. Yeah, it's just been this fun journey of sound experimenting and uh, songwriting. This is something that's only randomly occurred to me and I I don't think I've ever asked it. Maybe I have. I don't give a fuck. What experience do you imagine someone having with the newest one, Pink Objects? That's a good question. I mean... I think about that sometimes. I mean, for me, writing and um, recording them, 
is very much a, I don't want to say selfish act, but it's, it's something that I do. Like it takes too long for it to be about anyone but me, but then kind of no. the joy of, of recording music is that you then get to share it. Right. Um, and so I, I do think that does translate the, the idea that there was lots of care put into the recording. And my, one of my goals was perfection with, with while keeping it li- like alive, which is to right. say like, it sounds like someone recording music. Cause I think, in the digital recording realm, things can be perfect. And I'll put that in quotes. People <laughs> at home can't see me making air quotes. And yeah. perfect is not something to achieve. Like, that's when things like auto-tune come in. And I think that represents like an anxiety. Um, yeah. Oh no, what if people, you know, if I hit the wrong note, then people are turning it off immediately. Anyway, so, so for me, I think part of the like undercurrent of trying to learn how to record music is to actually control and feel like I'm being represented in the sounds that come out and I'm not adherent to say what the interface I'm recording in is demanding or what a producer is demanding and and just kind of enjoying the process. So to go back to your your question is, sorry, what do I anticipate maybe people are experiencing is, yeah, I I hope that that care comes across. And again, I'm trying to tell stories with these songs. So I feel like whatever sort of engagement you get while maybe reading a book might come across like, oh, wow, what an interesting um, sort of turn of events. And and I'm, I'm very careful to keep bringing in interesting sounds that sort of come and go and never to be heard from again, uh, which is stuff you can't always do when you go to like a, a studio. So I feel like it's maybe a unique experience of, yeah. of listening. I know other people are doing it too. It's not like I invented um, that sort of approach or I'm not the only person <laughs> recording myself, but that's kind of what can come out of self-recording for me. And the, and the joy of it is is all those sort of things that get lost when it's studio time being burnt and and sort of other people involved who maybe don't have as much patience in the process i mean we i I know with you that we could we could uh split the atom on like the role of a producer quote unquote Mm -hmm. people hear the word producer that are making music now and they're probably thinking someone who's going to take a very raw thing that i do and create (laughs) like something with it for me and I'll just show up. I think that's what people think producers are meant to do. I started splitting the atom and I realized I was not going to do that. So I'll cut that out. <laughs> it strikes me as something that, that I'm still working out feeling okay with. It's like there are a lot of people that have good taste in things. They literally don't care how it comes together. They just know I'm enjoying this. So I don't question who's playing on it. I don't need to know anything trivial about it. Damn it, there are things that light me up to know about the process of making it that I can't enjoy mm-hmm. with you because like you don't care, but you're not wrong for not caring. Certainly pink objects when it comes out for anyone who enjoys anything for whatever reason or <laughs> nerds like us, it's a beautiful product. It's got the otherworldliness to it. Hey everyone, speaking of otherworldliness, here's a song from Trevone's album Pink Objects, available this Friday on digital and vinyl and stuff. This song is called A Boarding Pass.
enough to make me a part of this big release of here's Stephen Trothan learns to knit. I'm going to pack the boathouse, Kitchener Waterloo, a legendary venue full of friends, family, and people that know me. And I've decided that Todd Donald is someone I want supporting me at this. Have you been the supporting act for a friend's CD launch? Oh, um, not that I recall. <laughs> I've definitely been in, a, in the audience. <laughs> it can either be like the best gig that you've had in a while or the worst. Mm-hmm. The friends and family and large gathering of people there to see their friends or family members CD launch is either just a loving bunch of people that are loving the whole show and will make the supporting act feel like a fucking VIP, which your crowd did, 
Or it can be that <laughs> group that really will make you feel like the opposite. It made me feel really special because that was my discovery of your music. I've been a fan of that album and everything since, ever since. But our friendship, we would go see movies and we teamed up showcasing other artists. So what did you enjoy about working with me? No, like what are your fondest (laughs) memories of just getting out there? Yeah, it's a good question. I love uh, thinking about this stuff because in some ways the motivation of um, making music is to create like a, a venue for further creation which is could, could be stuff like uh learning like how to use photoshop right that for me that all comes out of making posters making t-shirts etc cetera, etc cetera. so so one of the things i think of is when we teamed up it was like oh awesome we're gonna have this showcase uh and and i made like a poster for every show and that was really fun it, it was fun to sort of connect because again making your first album you feel like hey i made this thing and it's special to me but then there's kind of this scene happening in where you live, uh, in our case, Waterloo, and, and you you don't feel like quite a part of it, but you're like, I have things to offer. And so from you, I, I saw this potential to team up and then kind of create this nice friendship and then also provide an avenue for for other people, which you you very much model. And I mean, we're talking on your podcast, so you you continue this work uh, to this day, which I think is, is amazing beyond your own creative output and, and, and just sort of helping showcase other people and just being sort of selfless in that. And I, I really, uh, I find that inspiring. I mean, I've, I'm now a, a teacher. And so I feel like a lot of the things I learned in terms of like, I teach communication technology and guitar. So it's like totally related to the things I still Favorite do. And I classes. feel like that comes out of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're wonderful. I love teaching it. And so it's the idea that, you know, I, I learned how to do all this stuff through just having an ambitious ambition to create songs. And then I had, you know, I, I became interested in design. I became interested in video making. I became interested. It all kind of comes out of this thing. And so I feel like, again, the, the community aspect was a little missing uh, just because, you know, it's your, my first album. And then just kind of enjoying that, that sharing. I also feel like a lot of my friendships are kind of based around project things. I, I feel like some of my closest friendships, of which I, the people I ended up uh, playing music with, like my friend Mike, who plays saxophone on the album, and we, we played, and then my friend Ahmed, who plays drums, like playing in a band with your friends is the best thing to do, um, of which I would almost think that we were in a band in the sense that, you know, we were playing our own songs separately, but it felt like this co-project. And as yeah. someone Shared who experience. records them, yeah, exactly. As someone who records themselves, you still crave that connection of, um, working on a project with other people. It's, it's the same sort of desire to, yeah. I mean, that's the power of music basically is you can do something that's kind of self-involved, kind of nerdy, kind of fun. You can do it in isolation and then, then you can form like connections and, uh, and broadcast it and play songs for other people. And it's still somehow connected to you. Yeah. Is that an answer to the question? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like hearing you talk and I like anytime when I'm not talking on the podcast, I think. Which is ironic because I'm the host. Um, <laughs> That's sort of what we're talking about with the question, though. It's about facilitating. It's like creating a, a situation where people can either be their best selves or otherwise. It's something I try to do as a teacher. You know, my students are creative, intelligent people, and I'm the guide, I guess. But the more that they're creating and the less I'm trying to say, here's how it should be, and, and they're making stuff. And it's something I'm learning as a teacher as I, as I teach. And uh, it's something I try to do as a musician, too. And like, for example, having my friend Mike play saxophone and getting to write for him, like I can't play the saxophone. So that's like a joy. And I hope that when he hears his playing on the album, he thinks it's like, it sounds so grandiose, but like, you know, it's like a representation of him that I've created this ground for him to to play on and stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I'm being too vague with the terms, but that's kind of the joy, just building something from nothing and 
inviting as many people in as you can and uh, which is a rare thing to do these days in the pandemic you can't really <laughs> not in a literal yeah. sense but <laughs> yeah well there's a thought that i never really put in concrete form but someone said that i know on a podcast recently that i listened to this morning it's just an additional thought i don't know if it's married to what you just said or not but like like everything that you make is a vehicle for future relationships for instance, an album made prior to meeting the fellows who play on pick objects, like that was something that you made that represents your creative voice so that they can go on and go, I get you. I know what it sounds like when you make music and I can see mm-hmm. myself playing uh, saxophone on it in the future. But without that, you're just someone saying, do you want to play saxophone with me? And which yeah, exactly. is which is a lot more vague than hearing something that you made, whether or not it's the best representation of you. Like everything that you make is going to be a, a sweet vehicle for future collaboration or any yeah, number of absolutely. things. And, yeah, and the, the interesting thing with the way it actually played out with the Tree Phones project is that on the last album, uh, Mute Swan Trumpeter Swan, I made that entirely by myself with no sort of interest in how it would translate to a live show because it was very... Lots of sounds, lots of electronic sounds. Yeah. Um, who know? Who knows the original source? Like I sometimes forgot because I ran it through so many <laughs> things. And then I was living in Ottawa at the time, and so I I basically went on the equivalent of like dates to find a drummer. Like I just kind of posted something on this Ottawa musicians website, and I said, "Hey, here's my project. The album exists. I'm looking for someone to, you know, play drums or trigger samples or otherwise." And then I met Ahmed. And we just had this awesome conversation and talked about sort of anything but music, but like everything that informs the music I was interested in at the time. And we had these sort of shared experiences. But then we got the, we had the fun opportunity of trying to figure out how to play the songs after they were existed. My goal was to have Ahmed actually not necessarily play the drum parts as they existed, but play what he would play. Like, which is to say, actually put himself into the music. Again, exactly what we're talking about, which is I created the sounds, but now I'd like to see what you would do with it. Later, when I moved back to Waterloo, finding Mike uh, Borkovich to play saxophone. Because, and it's interesting too, because the way I met Mike was, he played a show at the Boathouse and he, I just saw it on YouTube and it was, he, he plays like a really big baritone saxophone and he put a pylon into the saxophone to create this huge like super cone. And he was playing like improvised music to just a few people in the boathouse. And I just loved how like brazen that was. I was like this guy. So I sent him an email. And then again, we had to, we started playing shows for that last album and he had to just kind of put in sax parts where they otherwise didn't exist because there was a saxophone on that last album. And so this is all to say that I got the chance to recontextualize music I had already made and sort of learn more about what I like and see what can fit in to bring it into pink objects land. It's, I actually started writing parts knowing that Mike would play on it. All of the sax lines that he played, it wasn't like, oh, I wrote this on a synth. Can you just play it? It was like, no, I know this will be a sax part. This will be a sax part. And some of the songs we actually played and and toured behind and stuff. So it's kind of like cart before the horse, but then I get to learn more about what I like and I get to shape my own sound and it becomes our sound. And I mean, that's kind of why I I don't say this is Stephen Trothan music anymore. It's more like it can be this modular morphing thing. And it it, it all comes out of relationships, even though it's a a self-recording project. It's Mm -hmm. I get to learn more and, and, and actually gain friendships. And I think when I originally started thinking of putting together a group, it was to call it Tree Phones and then sort of in the Neil Young model, who's like obviously a hero of mine, maybe not obviously, he is a hero of mine, is to be like, 
I can bring in new musicians whenever I like, and it can just be whatever it happens to be. And I, and I kind of have that going, but I love playing with Ahmed and Mike so much through that situation I just described that I actually don't want to play with anyone else, <laughs> like ever. <laughs> and the, the problem with that is that um, they live in Montreal and Ottawa now, uh, respectively. So it's like, becomes this logistical problem. So it's possible yeah. that I might just start playing uh, solo. I mean, no one can play shows at the moment, but there's sort of a, a not irony, but you know, trying to make this thing that can morph, but then creating such awesome relationships that you're like, no, this is what I want this to be. Yeah. <laughs> I want to play with these guys and otherwise I'll play alone. Especially this last little while, especially in COVID times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hey everyone, speaking of COVID, no, speaking of Pink Objects, the album by Treephones, this is another beautiful song from it, and it's called A Map. Oh, 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 
think objects, man. Let's dig in. So when did you start? How did it start? Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, without sounding uh, pretentious or something. But I always feel like ever since I've made my first album, I've been making an album uh, always, <laughs> like in between albums. And that's true right now. I mean, I have songs I've written since. And I'm, I'm always kind of gearing up to record. And then because I'm a self-recording person, I can always be also actively recording, not necessarily the songs that people will hear, but just sort of either like experimental things or, um, or otherwise. Like it's almost like a, a visual artist might sketch things when you have some musical gear around you you can just sort of jam with yourself i guess um so i'm always doing that but pink objects as an album was it's definitely a few years in the making either induced by covid because i'm not you know i've sort of been dislodged from a sense of what time is and everything's happening at once while nothing is happening (laughs) and also the process i just described it's hard to know when it started i don't want that to sound again pretentious but um definitely some of the stuff came out of the last album in terms of approaches, but I, I feel like it was about a two and a half year thing. And one of my goals with this uh, album was to actually do it in a, a more traditional sense, which is to say like really, really write the songs and actually stay away from the computer and the the mixer until the songs were written, right. um, you know, like demo in the most traditional sense, which again, just sounds like the way things often go. But for me, that was sort of a new approach because um, I like to get, things into the computer and, and play with oh, it because yeah. I like to sort of nerd out on sound and stuff. But so for me, it was actually try to restrain yourself and be like, no, like don't start recording this uh, song until it's actually like set up and you know all the changes and you know all the little things. And so that was fun actually to return to that form sort of from the first album. So yeah, fears in the making and I try not to rush the process, but I also, it's also, I'm always kind of doing it. I'm always like heading towards an album and not getting too stressed about how long it takes and just sort of enjoying uh recording in ways that will either end up as music or as songs or just sort of experimental stuff that I store and maybe makes its way into a final production or something. So it's kind of this swirling creative thing I try to generate always. (laughs) (laughs) What are some things that you leave or don't jump ahead to until the music is done? Did you have the visual in mind, for instance? Did you have someone making some oh, that's artwork? A, yeah. So I had the title, as you can imagine, maybe um, since I'm making a concept album, obviously you, at some point you need the concept. You can't come up with that later. Hey, I I wrote a bunch of songs that just happened to be all about objects. That would be a fun <laughs> thing to realize later. But no, I had that. And then the art, which was made by my friend Johnny Beck of Back, who also made the art for Meet Swan, Trumpeter Swan. And we sort of, we collaborated on it, but he's really amazing as, as a designer. It wasn't like the, a last minute thing where I had the songs and it was ready to be released and, oh, I need some art. It was actually before it was mixed for sure. And I was still recording the last few songs uh, and we had the art. I just knew that I wanted to, because again, it was a concept. So I kind of had right. an idea of what I wanted the cover to look like. And, and Johnny's a busy guy. So like I had we had to make it when he was available. And um, so that's been around for a while, which is actually a really nice thing to be able to know what the album's going to look like as you're recording it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was around and the title was around and I just let the songs take shape. And, we, and it was mixed last summer and that was during the pandemic. So one of my goals for this album was to actually be there while the mixing was happening, which I didn't get to do on the last album. But then the unfortunate aspect of that was that it had to be mixed remotely, mixed by Calvin Hartwick. But he was so amazing that it. we talked basically every day while it was being mixed and, and did all these sort of minute little things. And he was beyond amazing. So it felt about as close to as in person as possible. And he's in Toronto. so And sorry, we spent one day in the studio, like a full 10 hours, just making sure that everything was final after we had mixed the 10 songs. An hour per song, basically, just to 
one last intense listen and little changes and stuff. Which took longer, the production or the mixing? Oh, the production for sure. You mean like the recording? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of the songs, interestingly, A Map, which was the second single and has a video. I think I recorded that guitar part before I had even, I think I wrote that song. And then I don't think I had written any of the others and I just recorded it. And then I had all these other instruments and it wasn't going to be on the album. It was just going to be a nine track album. And just before I mixed, probably a month or two before, I was just going through files in the folder and like I always liked the guitar part and I just opened it up and it became this like subtraction session which is to say I had added too many things which is another thing I like to do and then you get to just take away layers and stuff and see what the essential elements are so I did that and I ended up re-recording the drums doing the bass again and I totally rewrote the lyrics one because I didn't like the old lyrics and two they didn't they weren't about an object so I wanted it to fit in it's not a linear process that I take on but I like it for that reason some creative stuff can come out and then the fun thing is when once you actually start mixing it, things that you don't hear anymore because of layers of sound come up again because, you know, e- like frequencies have been carved out by Calvin. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I've never heard that like little scratch of a guitar part. Like, let, let's address that. Or, oh, that, that isn't as in time as I thought. And, <laughs> and then you get to kind of, uh, continue, it's almost like a continued pro- production process. And yeah. Calvin was amazing with... Uh, my perfectionism in that and he was probably as perfectionism as as I was and also because we were mixing it remotely and he like he records albums at Dreamhouse Studios in Toronto because Toronto was in lockdown he wasn't able to record anyone so it was almost like awesome that he was mixing just my album and he wasn't doing any sort of sessions although he eventually started later as we were finishing mixing so I almost had him to myself and he was willing to zoom in on the on the sounds as much as I wanted. And yeah, he was really amazing. Calvin Hartwick. If you're to anyone listening who's about to finish making an album, look him up. He's awesome. You with the exception of blank, did play pretty much and create the sounds and instruments on the album. That's right. Rattle off for me a list of these from memory. You don't have to get it perfect, but I'm curious. It's not too hard to do because I'm recording this podcast where I recorded the album, so I can just kind of look around. <laughs> and that was one of my goals too, is to actually use uh, the stuff I had, again, for conceptual reasons, like I wanted to, the objects that I own to be the album. But I, I acquired a Fender Rhodes, for those that don't know, that's kind of the like classic 70s electric piano. Like, nice. Sort of, Pink Floyd uses it a lot. It's just my favorite sound. Which is a fun thing as a producer to hear records and learn like, oh, I love the sound of this and then try mm-hmm. to acquire it. So there's lots of Fender Rhodes. I try to use that as, as much as possible. Uh, there's guitars all over. There's lots of acoustic guitars. And the other thing is I have a 12-string electric that I was really into using while recording it. Like it's all over, but like Fuzzy Dream Machine, the, the first single, there's sort of these like chiming 12-string parts. <clears throat> also, when I recreated that uh, Beatles chord that I was talking about with you via email mm-hmm. that required a 12-string. There's some synthesizers I used, uh, the DX7, which is like a 80s synth, because I like 80s synth sounds as long as it's like sparse. Like I don't like, yeah, I don't dislike, but I don't want to make music that's just full on like 80s synth music, but that's a really nice like FM synth. Uh, there's like a modular synth that I used and I use my, um, my bass and my drums and I have a lot of effects pedals I like to use when I'm playing guitar. And I think most of the, the songs are built around that bass because again, I was trying to go back to uh, fundamentals, I guess, of recording because, you know, all the things I named were just, oh, and, and sorry, there's a lot of uh, acoustic piano on every song. So just going to the like piano, keys, synth, 
guitars, bass, drums. Like that's what everyone kind of uses. And then I also do a lot of processing of sounds that sort of come out of experimental things or I write little uh, strange programs that mangle sound or I just run things through effects and then those kind of make their way in as like the soundscapey elements. So I think those are most of the the sounds that are going on in terms of just like an instrument I could name. So that's a long answer for just being like, oh, the same instruments that everyone uses. <laughs> I, I, I'm a nerd and nerds will get off on this and that's fine. I, I, I like this stuff. Otherwise I would I would be rude and I would cut you off and say no one cares. But I care. Yeah. That's what matters. It's yeah, my show. Yeah. Yes. I named it after exactly. myself. <laughs> but the idea, again, is that it's it's that fun, like, curating instruments that I like the sound of or resonate with me in yeah. some way. And then forming some relationship. Again, it's kind of like the concept of the album is forming a relationship with these sounds to try to cultivate, like, some sort of me-ness out of them and yeah. uh, enjoying it. And then also having whatever is inherent in that sound inform the way I write. Like, for example, the Fender Rhodes has sort of a, a jazzy sound. So I I enjoyed trying to come up with some uh, complex chords that weren't like alienating or too jazzy uh, to sound like actual jazz. So the, all of that sort of comes out of that like feedback loop that you can form with gear. I mean, we've all done it, even if you're not a musician, like you walk into a music store and I don't know, there's a theremin set up and you're like, like you make a theremin sound and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I could, you know, you just... Potentially your imagination runs wild and you can be like, oh, I could imagine this. And if I practice, this will happen and I could make me, you know, it's like just from that brief interaction, you can sort of launch into this uh, creative what if. Hey, everyone. Speaking of what ifs, typically this is a podcast where I do what I can to get to know people or get to know them better. And I realized after editing that this episode is more of a making of the album type deal than that. And I've honestly no problem with it. We're music nerds. It's fun to talk about. And to be fair, hearing someone's approach regarding the minute to the largest details of making an album as a, a series of subtle invitations into getting to know how one's mind works. Plus, Stephen's great company. Having said that, I feel like there was more ground to cover personally, and I'm sorry I didn't get to that. I suppose I'll have to just appreciate the music. And I would highly suggest following at Treephones on everything. And if you'd like to know about his health and relationships, you can just ask him yourself. And he can say or not say whatever he wants to or doesn't want to say. In the meantime, you'll hear us talking about talking offline. And that's just what I plan to do. Couldn't be happier that we got to catch up. Made me feel 23 again to hear us talking. And I can't stress this enough because the music is so good. You got to check out Pink Objects when it's out on Friday. And buy it at least on Bandcamp. Get the vinyl if you can. It's available this Friday, May the 7th. And here's one more song from it. It's called Seeds. Enjoy.
can't wait for uh, everyone listening to hear it. What we're doing right now is we're talking like a couple weeks away from it being available. And you're hearing this podcast and it's coming out Friday, May 7th. There are three tracks available that you can check out right now on bandcamp.com. Look up tree phones. I will give you a link. You're listening to this. You can click on the link and go there. Is there anything else that you want to tell me about the album for people that might be interested in buying it if they're not already convinced? make a statement to the world <laughs> there's some videos that i had fun make because the release was delayed via covid just like everything's been delayed and and otherwise right. and so i had the chance to make some music videos for the songs there's going to be one last single actually two days before it's released on the fifth there's going to be a boarding pass we'll have a video and so i enjoyed the process of that and i so there's some videos to watch that kind of reinforce some of the concepts and I got to play with some sort of uh, video production fun and I broke my leg in one of the videos, but not literally, like just via camera <laughs> trickery. <laughs> right. Um, check out the videos and I don't, I'm not sure what the statement is other than, uh, yeah, a lot went into making this album and I'm I, I'm really happy with it. And uh, a few days ago on a, a post, I happily lost my mind over every song. Um, and so I hope... Uh, you you can reap the benefits, which I just was reminded of a scene from uh, the Wedding Singer where, what is it? He covers the cure, and you know I'm talking about. He he looks over and he's like he's losing his mind, and I'm reaping all the benefits. Yeah, John Lovett. Yeah, um, yeah. There you go, John Lovett. So I lost my mind, and I hope you can uh, check out the album and reap all the benefits. And we live in a a time when you know people can listen to music two seconds after they learn about it. And despite that, I feel like I made an album, which is to say it's sequenced very intentionally. And, you know, the last song is I'm not burying it because I feel like no one will listen to it. I, I sort of tried to push all those ideas uh, under the rug of, of concern and just try to make a piece of work that plays from top to bottom. And yeah, as many people as want to listen to it as possible. That sounds fantastic. You are someone who's always been kind to me. I remain grateful for our friendship. I'm so glad that we uh, 
we got to publicly do a nice catch up here. Yeah. I'm excited to just like listen to the album offline is what I'm saying. <laughs> but also considering that I'm in love with the 101 world, what a great guest to have on that's not from that because your music is meta inside meta and our brains mm-hmm. are wired to get it. Beautiful episode to put out of this podcast. You're a great guy, very talented, very creative. To those of you listening, get it. We're all exposed to so much music that has this synthetic, unnatural perfection, I think. And I'm not going to complain about it, but I will say that there's an alternative. Listen to interesting, sincere music by Treephones. Steven, thank you for coming on, man. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to talk and uh, happy to do it offline as well. In fact, anyone listening to this podcast, doing things offline, it's fantastic. I recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) On or offline. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show. Starring, produced, and edited by Todd Donald. The piano music in the rap is by J.P. Sunga, who you can find at jpsunga.com. The theme music is Mackie Alkino by William Chernoff. Find him at chernoff.band. And I'm Milo Axelrod, Todd's favorite bar none human voice. And I'm not bragging, he wrote this. If you'd like to hear more of my voice, check out my podcast, Describing a Rock, in which I describe some rocks. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please support The Todd Donald Show by sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. Follow and interact with at Todd Donald Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you feel like going the extra mile on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review, preferably in its favor. Have a great day, friends. Thank you.